Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Rolling along with you here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. My guests on the Goodyear Hotline, South Palantonio, in 15 minutes from Philly. He's fired up after the big news out of there yesterday. But, of course, our top story overwhelmingly, Alabama winning the national championship last night in a football game that felt a lot more like a coronation than it did a competition. Congratulations to the kids from Ohio State. They had a really good season considering all the hurdles they had to overcome. But clearly, Alabama was a team nobody was going to stop. They were a finely oiled machine offensively, and they were worthy champions. Of that, there is no question. And here to, to talk about a whole bunch of different ways that that matters, I think, is Paul Feinbaum, who who I have grown to lean on like almost no one else during this pandemic for perspective on sports and college football and much more. And Paul joins me here on ESPN Radio. Hello again, Paul. Greeny, great to be on. Thank you so much. All right. So a a lot of different places I want to go. Let's try and stay away from the really obvious ones. We know how good they were last night. We know how good the the wide receiver is. We know how good the running back is. We know how good the the, the quarterback is. Let's say this for Paul, for, um, for Nick Saban whom you have covered and who has now staked, I think, an undeniable claim to being the greatest college football coach ever. The most important quality in a great leader is adaptability. And you and I will remember not that long ago when Nick Saban was a leading voice complaining about all the offense in the sport, that it was becoming too easy, the spread out offenses, the running too many plays, that this was not the what the sport was meant to be. But he came to recognize he couldn't change it. And so rather than try to beat him, he joined him. And now he just does it better than anybody else. That, to me, of all the different things I could say about him as a leader, is one of the most important. That was an incredibly important time for for Nick Saban. I mean, he was desperate. Uh, He tried everything he could to get college football rules changed. And when he couldn't, he went out and hired Lane Kiffin and said, you know what, I'll I'll adapt. And that, Greeny, you look at the greatest coaches, uh, the greatest leaders, the greatest whatever uh, in, in, in the world, and, and those, those are the ones who can make changes. And, and I think that leads me to how he won this national championship. Everyone is, is assuming that he did it because of Devontae Smith and Najee Harris and, and, and Mag Jones, three of the top five finalists for the Heisman Trophy. But I, but I really believe Nick Saban won this back in March when everyone was in a, in a panic mode, when, when coaches were home for the first time, in, in, in 25 years, you know, watching uh, Netflix with their kids. Nick Saban never left his office. He, he hunkered down there. Maybe he shouldn't, but he did. Uh, he found ways to communicate with his players. It was controversial, but he made sure every player found a way to get an Apple Watch. Why? So they could monitor their, their workouts when they were at their home gyms, their high school gyms, and, and away from his his uh eyes and, 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 and the leadership of, of Alabama's great strength and conditioning program. And, and he, he was committed. And somehow when they came back in June, when, when we finally got to that point in this march toward football, Nick Saban then found his team was all in. Uh, they, they were one. And I know that's cliche, but, but they never lost, lost that because they had a lot of leadership. And, and that, that carried them through what you, you heard all morning from your analysts, the, the most difficult college football season in history. No question. And, and that, those are all the marks of a great leader. And he is unquestionably that. There's a lot of different, different places people can exercise leadership. Coaching is one of the most obvious to all of us. And no one has ever done it better. Greeny and Paul Feinbaum. So, Paul, I'm thinking back to all the mornings you and I spent together, starting, I guess, in March 
but certainly into April, June, uh, in the summer. And we were having conversations about, can they possibly make these kids go back and play? Can they turn them into essential employees? Is there any way in the world we'll ever have the testing to do it? I will admit to you now, something I, I, I tried to maintain a, a, an optimistic tone, but I will admit I didn't know that we would get to the beginning of this season, much less to the end. Now that we got what I think can only be described as a pretty satisfying conclusion to a really good year, how do you put the whole thing in perspective? I think it, it was a it was a big success. If you if you look at you know what happened on the field in terms of the, what the players did and the enjoyment it gave fans. Now, Greeny, there will be PhD theses written at institutions all across the country forever about why this was a bad idea. One one day we'll find out how many players had COVID, uh, how, how disruptive it was, how much it cost. But but I'm, I'm going to move aside from all that right now. I'll leave that to the politicians. I'll leave that to the epidemiologists. Uh, I watched a lot. I watched young people adapt. I watched young people, you know, take the, you know, put the curtain up on their lives as opposed to, you know, be reckless as we, we, we saw last night in Tuscaloosa, as we've seen everywhere uh, in society and, and, and commit themselves. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of them did get COVID. Nobody wants to get that, but, but a lot of them did, but they worked through it and, and, and they, and they worked hard not to get it too. Uh, they, they made sacrifices. And, and I know if you're at a hospital today or a policeman or any of those things that we always throw out there, you don't want to hear me or you say, well, these kids really gave up a lot. I mean, they're 18 years old, but, but they did make commitments. And I think it will, I think, I think it's an example that you should not overlook. Uh, and, and I know many, many still don't like what happened, but and, and, and Greeny, every, every one of those conversations we had from, from the spring and, until today, uh, we, we both had, had our doubts, uh, but fortunately people per- persevered. Not one player that I'm aware of, you know, caught COVID on the on the field. That's where we all thought it would happen. That's where the transmission was targeted from from the so-called experts. And and I, I think just like in the NFL, uh, there have been bumps along the way, but they, we have persevered. And it's not only because of the money, because quite frankly, college athletics is in bad shape today. Uh, they, they they took a beating this year, uh, and it will be difficult to recover. They, they they did it for a lot of reasons, but some of these leaders, which I've criticized, I think understood how important it was for not only they, – they talk about the student-athletes, I think it was important for the fans as well. I, I think it was, yes, under no circumstances, if there are serious repercussions to the health of the kids or anyone else who wound up contracting COVID during this time, then no, no one could ever make an argument that it was worth that. But in the absence of that, and, and you're right, we won't know that for a long time, uh, I would say it was a resounding success. I, I would say it was something that inspired me in many ways, the cynical 53-year-old man that I am now, when I watched these young people be willing to commit to something and sacrifice for something. I, I thought it was great. Paul, let me do this. Let me book you for tomorrow because there's a whole other big-picture topic I want to get into that will work just as well tomorrow, and I don't have the time to do it now. So if you're around, let's do it tomorrow. I want to talk to you about why the sport is so top-heavy and what, if anything, can be done about it. Can we do that tomorrow? You got it. Can't wait. See, I'm not only the host. I'm the great producer. See that, Nuno? I just booked Paul. So we'll find a time and we'll do it. Paul Feinbaum, thank you for the time and and everything else and the perspective. And we will talk tomorrow, Paul, with me on the Goodyear hotline. Goodyear helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear more driven. I'll read you the tweet. So Chris Felica, all of you who watch our coverage of college football know who he is. He's the guy they call Bear. And he's an outstanding researcher. 
And he tweeted, there have been 21 college football playoff games. 17 of them have been won by Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State. He then goes on to say, expanding the playoff, which I haven't been a fan of, will not give us more title contenders, but it might be necessary to create more excitement among fan bases currently not in the CFP. I think there's a big discussion to be had about that. Two of them. One, what can they do if indeed it is costing them interest? And maybe two, more importantly, why is it so top-heavy? At this time of all times, when every game is on TV, there's, there's so much opportunity for so many different schools that never used to be able to compete in college football. Why are three programs able to dominate to that level? I want an answer, and we will get it tomorrow. But meanwhile, coming up next, we will bring in Sal Palantonio. And I'm telling you ahead of time, he is fiery. You do not want to miss our pal Sal next on ESPN Radio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. My guests on the Goodyear hotline. I will go live to Philly in just a second with Sal Palantonio. But first, we have some news. And, and this is, it's, you know, it just is what it is. I, I will read you these tweets from Adrian Wojnarowski. I will read them verbatim. Sources telling Woj and our Malika Andrews, as the NBA is expected to begin examining online videos circulating of a maskless Kyrie Irving at a family birthday party, there's no belief that Kyrie will return to the Brooklyn Nets lineup this week. Irving has missed four consecutive games for personal reasons. He's been ruled out tonight versus Denver, and sources expect him to continue to be sidelined at least through Wednesday when they play the Knicks and Saturday when they play Orlando. Again, that is a video that started sort of making the rounds this morning. Woj has now, Woj and Malika have now acknowledged it. So um, they are doing their digging into this, and it is obviously something that bears watching closely. The situation with Kyrie Irving is a 
unique one and um well, I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I, I will save those for another time because I got Sal coming up here. But I'll just say again, it is something that bears watching very closely. So, again, uh, these videos are out there. The NBA is investigating them, but there's no reason to believe Kyrie Irving will be back playing at least any time in the next few days. Meanwhile, let me go to Philadelphia. The Scoop. Sal Palantonio is the man with the scoop. Whenever things in Philly happen, Sal is always the first person I think of. And so, Sal, welcome as always. And, and let's go right to it. So with the Eagles making the decision they did yesterday to fire Doug Peterson, many of us from afar will look at it and say, this was the organization choosing Carson Wentz over the coach. Is that the right way to look at it? I don't think it's definitely the right way to look at it. I think there's an element to it. Michael, uh, because if they do decide to reach out to Lincoln Riley, the coach at Oklahoma, it's because they're interested in making Jalen Hurts their quarterback over Carson Wentz. And I know they are interested in Lincoln Riley. There's a report out there that they have already contacted Mm. Lincoln Riley or agents for him. I know they have contacted Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator, of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and he is expected to interview with the Eagles after the divisional round game in New Orleans. Bowles has already interviewed with Atlanta and will interview with the Lions, and uh, they've got to have some interest in Kafka, Mike Kafka in Kansas City. And it comes down to what that coach wants at quarterback. I mean, listen, let, let's be real here. You have to be able to marry the two, right? It's owner, coach, quarterback that's the way it works that's the way it worked in new england for all those successful years that's the way it's working in tampa that's the way it's worked in new orleans that's the way it's working in green bay and kansas city so why did it go wrong sal i mean again you're the person who knows it so well you wrote the book philly special you literally when i say you wrote the book about this team i mean it literally you wrote a book about this team that won a super bowl less than three years ago today on the calendar. How did they get from there to this? You know, it always comes down to control. You know, I've been at this long enough, sad to say, that I was in the room when Bill Parcells said about Bob Kraft uh, in New England, if they want you to cook the dinner, at least they should let you pick out the groceries, Mm -hmm. shop for the groceries. Yep, that's the most famous line of all about this situation controlled by the coach or somewhat semblance of control. So I'll go back to last year, Michael. Mike Rowe was the offensive coordinator. Doug Peterson says at a press conference, Mike Rowe's staying on. A day later, Mike Rowe is gone. Mm. And I think that was the genesis of it. Now at the end of this year, some offensive assistants are out, not brought back. Morning wig, Scangarella. Press Taylor is the quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator. Doug Peterson wants to elevate him to offensive coordinator. Doug Peterson doesn't have a really good handle on who's next going to be for the defensive coordinator with Jim Schwartz retiring. And so Jeffrey Lurie and Doug Peterson were not on the same page as far as the vision is concerned. Let's look at also one other aspect of it. The money issue regarding the coach and the quarterback. So it's going to be really tough to trade Carson Wentz. And also, Doug Peterson has two more years on his deal. So if you bring him back in 2021 and they don't get it done, they don't go back to the playoffs, you're not bringing him back in 2022 as a lame duck. 
So if you're Jeffrey Lurie, you say to yourself, well, if I know that's the situation, then it's going to be a rare occurrence that I bring him back in 2022 as a lame duck. Why not get rid of him right now? And so that's what he does, Greeny and Sal Palantonio on the Goodyear hotline. Okay, then let's work our way to Peterson, who is someone that I know you know well. Um, what is your sense about his desire to get right back into coaching, meaning in this cycle where there are – well, I guess in his case there were six vacancies because one of them was created by him. So what, what is your sense of his desire to get right back at it? I talked to a source close to him yesterday who said Doug Peterson is going to take some time at his home in Florida – with his wife, Jeannie, they're going to discuss it. They're going to pray on it. They're very faith-based people. And they're going to see where, they at, where they're at regarding coaching in 2021. So I, I don't see a natural fit for Doug Peterson, just looking at the landscape. Yes, there are six openings, but where does Doug Peterson fit? I don't think it's easy for him to go to Florham Park and coach the Jets. Why? Why? Wait, well, the whole thing of what happened with the Giants missing out on the playoffs. Oh. There's a, you know, you know the New York market. You live there. You know it inside and out. It's going to haunt him, certainly at the beginning of his tenure. And I, I, I think it's going to be tough for him to just make that transition to the Jets' job. And I know the Jets are very interested in Brian Dayball, and I know there is mutual interest in Dayball going to the Jets. So he's the offensive coordinator, as you know, in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not sure he fits with the Jets. Clearly, Jacksonville is interested in Urban Meyer. Um, I, I think there, there are other opportunities out there, but they're a better fit for coaches. So it'll be very interesting to see where that goes. A lot of people are connecting him to the Jets because of the relationship with the general manager, Joe Douglas, who mm-hmm. came from the Eagles organization. Should, is that putting two and two together and getting five? Well, it is kind of Michael. You don't agree with me on how difficult it would be for him to coach in the New York market in the aftermath of what happened. I think it would, but I also think there is an element of anyone who follows Adam Gase is going to be viewed so favorably by people who follow the team and care about the team initially that there'll be a honeymoon period, even for the guy who kept the Giants out of the playoffs. Interesting. I just think there's a whole lot of Giants fans in the New York metropolitan area that are going to fill the airways and social media with a whole lot of negativity. It's possible. It certainly is possible. I will see what happens. Anyway, Sal, you're the best. There's, there's no one I turn to more immediately when these Philly things happen than you, and it's been a fascinating week. Let's see where they go. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you, Sal. Okay, Michael. Thank you. Sal Palantonio with me here on ESPN Radio. That's interesting. So, Wood, that's the, it's, you know, there are not too many two-team towns in the sports world, right? Off the top of my head, there's New York, which has two teams in most of the sports. At this point, I guess all of the major sports. Chicago has two teams in baseball. L.A. has two teams in multiple sports, right? I, I'm, I'm just doing this. There's not too many places where that can be a factor. The Jets and Giants, I've never considered to be a huge rivalry to the sense that, like, I grew up a Jet fan in New York. I, I never hated the Giants that... They're not in the same division. There's really not a whole lot. I never thought of it that way. Like when the Giants played the Patriots in those two Super Bowls and the Giants won, I celebrated like like I had won, like my team had won. I definitively rooted against the Patriots more than I ever did against the Giants. 
You know, in Chicago, there's a little more of that, but Cubs and White Sox, there's a lot of that that goes on. Cubs and White Sox, there's a lot of division there. There's a lot of animosity, if you will, between the fans, that, that sort of thing. So I don't know. I don't know if that would be a factor in this or not. I hope it wouldn't be to the extent that I like Doug Peterson. Again, I think he's a very good coach. And while I was very critical and remain that way of the way he, he, he coached the second half of the last game of the season, to be reasonable, you can't look at that and undo all the good things he did. Like he won a Super Bowl less than three years ago. He has been a very, with a backup quarterback, he's been a very good coach by and large for a long time. You don't undo all of that with one really bad half of one game. So for me, I'm kind of all in on him, but we'll see. One way or another, one day we assume he will get back into coaching. And the question is, will he make today's green list, which is coming up next, today's green list is a list of the five greatest coaches in their second opportunity in NFL history. I will count them down for you next. I'm Greeny, and this is ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Greeny, the podcast. We roll along. This is Greeny with you coming to you live from the Seaport District at Pier 17. We are brought to you by Chase, and I am presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. News flying in all over Twitter about coaching openings. We have seven of them now in the National Football League, and Shefty said on this show the other day, it'll be kind of like popcorn. Like you put popcorn in the microwave. It hasn't popped yet, but once it does, it's going to start popping like crazy. So any day now, maybe any minute now, we'll get the first hiring, and I believe that once we get one, they're going to start rolling in fast and furious. Now, some of these assistants, they can't actually be hired while their teams are still alive in the playoffs, so that could be one of the reasons for the delay, but you're seeing news about teams requesting interviews and all the rest of that. So we'll see where it all nets out. We just talked to Sal Palantonio, who says he's not convinced that Doug Peterson wants to get right back into it and and get another job during this cycle. He is still going to be getting paid by the Philadelphia Eagles for the next two years either way. But that, he he being the coach, Doug Peterson, is the subject of today's green list. Every day, I pick the top five this, that, or the other. And today, the subject of the green list is, who are the five coaches who had the best second tenures, their second chance opportunities in the history of pro football? The list is what determines who matters in this business. The Green List. That is exactly right. So today's Green List, again, the top five coaches in their second opportunities in NFL history. And I will tell you, this was a tough one. I sat down yesterday and I agonized over some of these decisions because I take this list very seriously. I am, as I am fond of telling you, the world's foremost authority on all matters and so when I give you this list, it is like, it's like it's, it's carved into a tablet. So this is the definitive list, and that's it. There's no room for debate, no room for discussion. So these are the top five coaches in order in their second tenures in NFL history. Number five. Number five is Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin had an excellent first tenure. Tom Coughlin was the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars when they were an expansion franchise. Took them to the AFC Championship game in his second year. He brought this sort of militaristic disciplinarian style 
that seemed to suit that franchise, at least at that time, and had really good years there. But if he winds up in the Hall of Fame, it's going to be because of what he did with the Giants. He comes to the Giants. He makes the switch from Kurt Warner to Eli Manning. Manning, if you remember, when he first started quarterbacking the New York Giants, did not look like it was certain that he knew which end zone he was trying to go towards. That's how lost Eli looked initially. Ultimately, Eli turned into a Hall of Famer. And they won not just two Super Bowls, but the magnitude of the Super Bowls they won. When you look at this era and you consider what the Patriots have been, for the Giants to have beaten them twice in the Super Bowl, including, of course, the year that New England would have been 19-0, and not all Super Bowl championships are created equal. They all count the same, but they don't all matter the same. So to me, Coughlin doesn't just have the two championships with the Giants, but the magnitude of those championships, I think, is also worthy of bringing into the conversation. So Tom Coughlin, for me, goes number five on my list. Number four. This was the tough one. Number four is Mike Shanahan. You may not remember that Mike Shanahan had a very short-lived and brutally bad tenure as the head coach of the Oakland Raiders working for Al Davis, who hated him, and who Shanahan hated. And he left there under horrible circumstances. Like, there wound up being a lawsuit, the the, the details of which are sort of foggy in my mind, but, like, he didn't get paid. He left and didn't even get paid. He had to, like, sue him for the rest of his contract. It was a terrible relationship. But then he went to Denver, where John Elway's legacy was basically the greatest quarterback never to win a championship. John Elway carried three teams, three mediocre teams to Super Bowls in the 80s. But it was not until he got Mike Shanahan and that power-running offense in Denver that Elway winds up retiring with two championships. They won not one but two Super Bowls. Shanahan was a great coach. He was an innovative coach. And again, he won two titles with one of the legendary quarterbacks of all time. Completely transformed John Elway's I believe, hid the narrative of his career and took him from what he was, which was a super talented quarterback, just a ridiculously good player, to an immortal. John Elway's an immortal. They'll talk about Elway as long as the game is talked about. And Shanahan played a huge role in that. So Mike Shanahan is number four. Number three. Now we're getting into the nitty-gritty. At number three, I had to decide where to put Andy Reid. And I will tell you in advance, I'm doing this in part on the futures market. As of this moment, Andy Reid does not belong at number three. We're obviously talking about his tenure right now in Kansas City, where he took over a franchise that had been good, had really not been great in something approaching 50 years, and has turned them not only into a powerhouse, but an offensive juggernaut. He has created a quarterback. He has certainly played a a significant role in creating a quarterback who looks like he's trending towards being one of the greatest of all time. And I put him in this spot because of where I believe he's going. I believe that they will win a minimum. Andy is younger than you think he is. He's in his early 60s. Nuno or or Bamba, someone tell me exactly how old he is. I should have looked this up. He's not as old as I thought he was. He's got a good, if his health holds in there, and God bless him, 62. You know, he could coach there another decade if he wants to, and he is a lifer. This guy's not leaving. So I believe that by the time it's all said and done, Reed is going to win something in the neighborhood of three, four, five Super Bowls. So that's why I have him where he is. Part of it is on the futures market. If he doesn't wind up winning those championships, then this will look like a bad pick. So I'm kind of betting on the come. 
And if he does win more, then maybe he will actually vault even higher on the list. Number two. Number two on my list here, the green list on ESPN Radio of the top five second tenure coaches in NFL history is Don Shula. Don Shula, who was the winningest coach in pro football history, who was the coach of the 72 Dolphins, the only unbeaten champion in the Super Bowl era. Many people forget that he was the coach of the Baltimore Colts before that. He was the coach of the Colts when the Jets beat them in Super Bowl three fifty-two 52 years ago today. He was a very successful coach there. He took over the Dolphins and turned them into the preeminent organization in pro football in the early 70s. And, and through much of the 70s, the Steelers sort of eclipsed him and them. But he was a great coach, and he is to this day the winningest coach in NFL history. He won more games as a head coach than any coach ever. So Don Shula is number two on the list, surpassed only by the obvious. Number one. The easiest choice I had to make was that Bill Belichick is number one. Bill Belichick, in my opinion, is the greatest football coach in history, the greatest NFL coach of all time. And it is certainly not because of his tenure in Cleveland. Now, his history in Cleveland, I think, to some degree, is unfairly told. He he was a better coach there than people remember. He won a playoff game, beat, beat his mentor, Bill Parcells, in a playoff game. And then he was the coach of the franchise when they, decided, they announced that they were moving to Baltimore. They didn't just up and go. They announced it ahead of time. And he had to coach through a season that was just a disaster that probably no one could have won in. So Belichick's tenure in Cleveland wasn't as bad as people paint it to be. But his tenure in New England, you don't need me to tell you. It's the stuff of legend. It's the greatest tenure any coach has ever had with any franchise. Nine Super Bowl appearances, six championships. All the winning you could ever possibly imagine and more. So the easiest thing about this list was who was number one. Bill Belichick has won. That is today's green list. The five best second tenures by NFL coaches. Number five, Tom Coughlin. Number four, Mike Shanahan. Number three, Andy Reid. Number two, Don Shula. And number one, Bill Belichick. That is today's Green List. Coming up next, I will say the most important thing that needs to be said today about the legend who ended all debate last night. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute, but Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts or gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Greeny, the podcast. I have a great picture of me in Pitbull. That's something you weren't expecting to hear me say today. Greeny, back with you on ESPN Radio. Pitbull performed at the All-Star Game. What year was the All-Star Game at City Field? Whatever year the All-Star Game was at City Field... Something like five years ago, um, he performed, and Mike and I were there. And we were, we had a role in the in the in the evening, and uh, I was a fan. I am a fan of Pitbull. Twenty was twenty thirteen. My God, that's a long time ago. It doesn't feel like that long ago. Anyway, he did that song that he does with Christina Aguilera. You know that song? I just want to feel this moment. 
And I, I was a fan of that song and remain. And I found Pitbull and I took a nice picture with him. I still have it. Um, he's not the tallest man you've ever been around in your entire life, but he was very friendly. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, the, the names are flying in. People are hitting me with all these names. Let me make something very clear about the green list. The green list is, is called the green list because I'm greenie. And again, mine is the definitive opinion on these things. I am the world's foremost expert on all matters. So here are the names that are flying in, and I'm getting them not just on Twitter, bear in mind, but I'm getting them from all sides in here. I got Brandon, our stage manager, throwing names at me left and right. Nuno seems to be, if I may say so, Nuno seems to be a tad put off by some of the decisions that are made today. But I'm getting Dick Vermeil. I'm getting Bill Parcells. I'm getting Marv Levy. I'm getting Tony Dungy. All are legitimate candidates. Let me tell you the thinking. As I sat and I looked over the list, two Super Bowls was the price of admission. So you didn't get into the club without two Super Bowls. I made the one obvious exception for Andy Reid. But I explained it when I did it, which is that I believe Andy Reid, I'm betting on him on the come. If he doesn't wind up winning one more Super Bowl, I will be as shocked as anything you could ever possibly tell me. I would be surprised if he doesn't win two or three more. So that's why he wound up on the list. I will also tell you that I was very tempted to put Weeb Eubank on the list out of my personal love for him. And it was 52 years ago today that he and the Jets won Super Bowl III. Um, and it was such an incredibly significant championship that it would almost have been justified. But I couldn't bring myself to do it. So, But once again, I appreciate all the thoughts. I appreciate everyone adding them. But Brandon and Nuno and everyone, again, there's a reason it is called the green list. If we do a show called Hashtag Nuno then, you know, perhaps we'll get Nuno's opinions in on these things. Do I sound like I'm being kind of a jerk here? I'm just, this is meant to be funny. Is it playing funny? Because if it's not playing funny, then I'm not doing it right. All right, let's get to fascinating stats. Our fascinating stat today is brought to you by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. And our fascinating stat today comes again from Chris Felica, whom everyone knows as the Bear, if you watch any of ESPN's college football coverage, and just an indication of how ridiculously dominant Nick Saban has been at Alabama. He won his seventh national championship last night, six of them at Alabama. They have been ranked number one in 57 of the last 83 AP polls. 57 out of the last 83. Someone quickly get me that percentage. I'm very bad at things like that, but it's a very high number. It's got to be something approaching 70%, I would think. 57 out of 83. Also, in games against top five teams, he's won 13 of his last 16. And in his record overall at Alabama since he got there in 2009 is 151 and 15. 151 and 15. He's won 151 games and lost 15. Those are all fascinating stats brought to you by DraftKings. And what they are, or what he is, is a great lesson. If there's one thing I've learned in my life, there's one thing I think I've done well in my life. It is that I've had the opportunity to be around a lot of really successful people. Almost all of them in the sports world. Not all, but most. And if there's one thing I think I've done well is that I've, I've paid close attention to how they got to be where they got to be. And have tried to take lessons from it. And to me, the ultimate lesson of Saban is not the work ethic, because lots of people have it. It's not the discipline, because lots of people have it. It's not the intelligence, because lots of people have it. 
It's the adaptability. That is such a key lesson for leaders everywhere. And I hope it is one that is heeded by leaders in every field of endeavor. Sports is the easy one. But across the gamut, across the spectrum of our society, I hope that people learn this lesson. That when you are doing things one way and you have been very successful with them, you must remain open to the idea of changing them if the circumstances change. How many people have their their success, have their effectiveness cut short by using the phrase, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way we've always done it is the worst reason to do anything. And Nick Saban, again, I'll use just this as an example, but it is, I think, an important one. Nick Saban won so many of those championships in those football games one way. He was a great defensive coach. Talk to any of his former players. They'll tell you, if the defense dominated the offense in practice that day, he said it was a great practice. If the offense got the better of the defense, he was furious. Nick Saban, at his core, is a defensive guy. He did not like the direction the sport was going when it started to change like crazy. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't sit there and yell in the wind. He didn't do what I see a lot of people my age do, which is yell about how social media is changing everything and all sorts of different ways the world is changing. The world is changing. Impermanence is one of the few guarantees in life. When things change, change, you either adapt, you change with them, or you get left behind. The world is like a freight train that doesn't stop for anyone or any reason. And Nick Saban, rather than jumping off, and, and having people put roses around his neck and wave goodbye and give him a, a, the, the, the ultimate send-off, he said, no, I'm not jumping off this train. I see the direction it's going, and I think I can do this too. And so to me, he is a great lesson for all leaders of any field or endeavor. So that to me is, I think, the most important thing that can be said of Nick Saban today. And so he is the greatest coach in the history of college football. He was that yesterday. When we were having this conversation yesterday and he hadn't won that game last night, he was already the greatest coach in college football. The question, and we can debate this if you'd like, is he the greatest coach in the history of American team sports? He's on that list. You know the names, the Woodens and the Auerbachs and the Belichicks and the Oriemas and whoever else you want to put in there. He's on that list. Does he go at the top? It's worth talking about. I'll see you tomorrow. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. Coming up today on Barton Hunt, okay, I'll admit it, Devontae Smith left no doubt about the Heisman. Meanwhile, another quarterback draft will be pushing into the NFL. What veterans might be most affected? And the NBA faces its first COVID challenge starting at noon Eastern on Barton Hunt, ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus.